Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Focus Fire podcast, episode number 10. I'm Alan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff Dirtypool. Hey, y'all. Focus Fire is a semi-regular competitive 40K podcast aimed at providing you focus and practical advice that you can actually use to improve your game. This podcast is brought to you through the TFG Radio Network. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at focusedfirepodcast at gmail.com. Okay, we have two topics for you tonight. The first one is a unit focus. We're going to discuss the contorted epitome. And the second segment, we're going to do talk a little bit about building a win, winning tournament list. And uh, we're, right now, to start it off, we're going to talk about the contorted epitome. Go ahead, Jeff, and take it away. So the contorted epitome is a new-ish chaos slanesh demon uh, that came out, gosh, a couple, like, I think May or something like that in some box set for Age of Sigmar or some shit. Um, but it, anyways, it, it's, it just it, appeared one day. Disappeared. I don't know. It's not in the codex. Or 40k that, but, is like, I, I guess we get all these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's been kind of making a big see, uh, splash in the, uh, top table chaos lists over the last couple of months. Um, here in Southern California, it's been made famous by, uh, our local, uh, one of our local players, Richard Cozart, who's been running it since essentially the word go. Um, and you can see Jim Vessel um, in his recent list has switched over to using the contoured epitome as well. And so tonight we're going to do, as we usually do with these unit focuses, we're going to talk a bit, a little bit about the unit itself, break it down, and then break down how to play with it to some extent, but mainly how to play against it if your opponent brings in a contorted epitome. Because it's a really powerful piece um, that Chaos has um, because of one of its special rules. But Yeah, you're starting to see it in almost every Chaos list nowadays. Yeah, it is. It's not cheap. It's around 210 points or somewhere in that range. Um, but it is a character with uh, less than 10 wounds. It has 8 wounds. It's a Slaneshi demon, and it's super fast. It's like a 12-inch movement. Um, and because it's a Slanesh Demon, if it's in a pure Slanesh Demon detachment, um, you can see it advance and charge uh, without penalty. And that's how you see it in a lot of these lists because it often will run along three Lord Discordants um, who are all Mark Slanesh and they technically have the Demon keyword. So if you have a Slanesh Demon detachment and then another detachment of like Flawless Host contort- uh, uh, Lord Discordants, the contorted epitome can keep up with the Lord's Discordant and uh, allow them to advance and charge without having to use a stratagem, which is really um, powerful because of the uh, Slaneshi loci. Um, but the contorted epitome itself has a slew of special rules. Um, it's you know it is a Slaanesh herald, so to say. So it does provide a plus one strength or to uh, Slaanesh demons within six inches of it, and it has this really interesting rule where anytime it takes a mortal wound of any sort, it ignores it on a two up on a D6, which is kind of insane. So you can, if you're facing a uh, opposing um, mortal wound smite spam list, you can stick the contorted epitome in front and uh, eat up all those mortal wounds from the uh, uh, opposing smiters. Yeah, that that's huge because also, you know, if you want to, if you need to kill a character, one of the easiest ways of killing it is a Zinch player. Is just use target targeted uh, offensive spells, and you can kill it with mortal wounds. But the fact that it ignores mortals on a two plus, it's really tough. Also, doesn't the Vindicare do like mortal wounds or something too? Correct. Yeah, and so you know, if you get headshotted with the Vindicare's uh, gun, you know, if it doesn't kill you with this first shot, he rolls a dice, and on a three up, you take a mortal wound, four up, etc. 
The, the contorted epitome doesn't care about any of that stuff. Yeah, same thing with sniper weapons, too. Anything that can target a character, and you know, basically the sniper weapons, you know, they do mortal wounds on a six, so the, the character and uh, ignore mortal wounds on a two plus means it's really going to be hard to kill. Yeah, that's right. So um, it is also, like I said, a Slaneshi demon, so it strikes first in combat as if it had charged. Um, it has, it is a Psyker as well, and it gets a plus one to cast and deny, which is actually insane. That's really good, because um, that's why everybody takes Araman, just to get that plus one. Yeah, the spells he has access to aren't, like, game-breaking like Araman's, or not, or as powerful as Araman's, but still having plus one to cast, plus one to deny, and be able to cast two spells is, is really good. Um, speaking of his psychic prowess, he can, he has access to the Slaneshi demon, uh, range of spells, which have a couple of targeted mortal wound powers uh, or ones that will kind of help you clear hordes, but it also has a couple of them, such as uh, allowing a Slanesh demon to fight immediately in the psychic phase. So this is really good for, for instance, allowing your Lord Discordant to just attack again for free or allowing your 30 uh, demonettes that you often see running with this uh, uh, contorted epitome fight again immediately so they can even let's say they only have like two guys to finish off they can fight again in the uh psychic phase kill that thing off and then charge again in their next charge phase because they're no longer locked in combat so yeah, fight again spell is really good especially since it costs three cp for almost everybody else to do it yeah it's a little clunky on how you do it on the timing because it has to be in your psychic phase or the the contorted epitome epitome's players psychic phase so that means your your slaneshi demons have to have been in combat at the start of your turn and from the a prior turn so if you're in a prolonged combat it's a really fun spell but it's not something like i charge in i fight and then i can cast a spell to fight again because when you charge in you have to um wait till your next psychic phase to be able to cast that spell so chances are your uh, Lord Discordant has killed anything that he's touched in two rounds of combat. But if he happens to get charged by the enemy um, and didn't kill him in return, he can go ahead and just fight immediately in the psychic phase. So how many casts and denies does it have? It gets two casts and I believe one deny. and Which is really powerful because having a plus one deny uh, with some a piece that you're going to be so aggressive with anyway is really, really strong. Because it has a 12-inch movement and it's going to be keeping up, uh, and we'll get to its, other, its main special rule uh, later, it, you're going to want that thing in the enemy's grill. And because of that, having plus one to deny is really powerful. Unlike pieces like necessarily like Aramon, he may want to sit back and cast spells kind of like to buff other things. The Contorted Epitome wants to get up in there and uh, be right in the enemy's lines. He also has um, a couple other spells that he has access to. Uh, one is he can make the closest enemy unit have minus one to hit, which is actually really powerful. So the Contorted Epitome can really debuff like a big combat unit like uh, a Bolgren or an orc a unit of orc boys or something like that. You know, it has to be the closest unit to the, the guy, but throwing a minus one to hit and then you compare that with some other Slanesh demons like the Mask, um, who can provide another minus one to hit to demonettes. So you're you can really start stacking up these debuffing modifiers. Um, even you know Jim Vessel's list running them with plague bearers. Suddenly your plague bearers are minus two to hit. You cast minus one to hit on the closest orc unit, and then you somehow kill the second orc unit. Now that orc unit charged into it's minus three to hit, or something with gene sealers, anything similar like that. That's going to be getting into your um, into your face trying to kill those plague bearers. Or even if it's just a shooting unit, you know it could be a knight running up into your face trying to shoot you and suddenly it's minus three to hit your plague bears is not going to do much damage so uh it also has access to a spell where it can have a uh, le minus one leadership aura 
And it also can provide, uh, provide another spell for uh, six up, feel no pain to uh, Slanesh Demons, which can be cast on the um, Lord's Discordant as well. So it has a, a, a wide variety of, uh, you know, its psychic tree is pretty utilitarian. Uh, yeah, spells. utilitarian. So you can take a lot of things. So if you need to know you're going to be, you know, stuck in a big scrum, you're playing against orcs, you're playing against other chaos lists where you're going to be in melee or Gene Sitter Cult. You can take the fight on uh, fighting the psychic phase, psychic power. If you know you're going to be fighting against shooting armies that are, you know, you can that are be rushing at you, you can take that minus one to hit spell. Or I, like, you can, I like the minus one to hit spell, and some a lot of people have it. A lot of armies, but nobody seems like they ever really take it. It's a little bit difficult to get off as far as the positioning goes. But like, if you're fighting something like uh, we talked about in our last uh, unit focus, Bulgrins, like if you have something like a big, you know. Death Star or something like that, you're starting to stack some minuses on them, and they start really struggling to do anything, so. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the big tactics you'll see with Bulgren is they're going to take the center of the board. So if you're, the, you know, the, the Contorta Epitome running up with the Plague Bear unit, uh, who are minus two to hit because you've cast... Um, the Nurgle spell on them, and then suddenly you cast a minus one ahead on those Bulgren. When those Bulgren charge in with their 50 attacks or whatever it is, and they're going to pull all these Plague Bears, they're hitting on sixes, you know, <laughs> so they're not going to do shit, actually. Right. Um, so you're able to um, f- either force your opponent to screen them with things that you they may not want to screen them with or um, otherwise play differently. And anytime you can force your opponent to not play the game plan they want to play, you're going to be in a better position because you're going to force them to either make a mistake or, you know, do something that's not optimal for yeah, their list. Yeah, you're just about completely neuter one of their most powerful units. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, the you can already see, you know, as a Slaneshi Psyker and a, a character with the Loki, it's already pretty good. Um, it can also be – it's not actually a uh, unique character. You can have more than one in your list, although I don't know why you would take them. They're pretty expensive. But because of that, that means you can make them your warlord and give them relics, um, uh, which is something you can't necessarily do with some of the other uh, new characters that came out in that pack because they're independent characters or or whatever they're called now. Um, So one of the things, obviously, the big relic you want to take for Slanesh Demons is the Forbidden Gem, which is a freaking awesome, (laughs) (laughs) super, such a good relic. It uh, essentially, I don't have the exact text right in front of me, but what it does is you can only use it on your opponent's turn, and at the start of any of the your opponent's phases on their turn, you can select a character within 12 inches of the model with the Forbidden Gem. And it's only once a game you do it, but then you roll, gosh, I want to say 3, 3d6. 3d6, and you have to equal or exceed their leadership, or maybe beat their leadership. Um, and if you do so, that character is essentially done it can't do anything it can't it, it can't activate and it can't use any abilities that affect other units during that phase so it's i mean you could shut off night castlands i mean when i at lvo this year i brought my chaos list for the rtt on sunday and i played my first game you know i i my opponent had three knights and he had some smash captains and i purposely left my backfield open i left a spot for him he can drop his smash captain in and charge and kill all my important care support characters he took the bait. He came in. He did his 3d6 charge. <clears throat> I heroically intervened with two demon princes, and I wasn't running the contorted epitome at the time, but I had a, a Slanesh Herald on a steed, and I forbidden gemmed his ass. And he, so this smash captain runs in to try and kill my demon princes in Aramon and gets you know essentially mesmerized, and my demon princes heroically intervened and killed him before he could do anything. So, yeah, that, that was my one of my first experiences. I was playing somebody. I think it was a BAO. I ran 
Magnus right in the middle of his army, and I was just about to go ham and assault a bunch of uh, a bunch of his units. And uh, what do you mean these named characters? Relics. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean I can't do anything? So it's like yeah, it's a it's a mean relic. It's actually probably one of the best relics in the game, in my opinion. But uh, it's something you need to watch out for. So if you're playing against a anyone with a Slanesh demon, they're especially the contorted, contorted <laughs> epitome now because it's so popular, they're going to have the Forbidden Gem. So you have to expect that if you rush, if you are relying on a character to come in and do work against anything within 12 inches of that Slaneshi character, you you got to hope to hope to God and pray that you're going to. He's not going to roll over your leadership, you know. So, you know, th certain things like like orc characters can easily get around this if they have a unit of boys next to them because they're leadership thirty or something. But you know, or you know, if you're leadership ten or nine, you you have a good chance that they'll roll. They they could roll poorly, but you never know, right? It's it's just kind of luck of the dice, and you don't want to leave your character dick and dick in hand, kind of sitting in the middle of your opponent's army for an important phase. Yeah, if you have like a knight gallant or anything like that, any like big scary thing, you just be just standing there in the middle of nowhere doing nothing for a turn is not the not where you want to be. Yeah, and one of the interesting things is it says you cannot use an or any ability. It doesn't say or ability. It just says an ability that affects other units. So knights. One of their abilities is that they explode and they do damage to units around them. So if you forbid and gem a knight in your opponent's you know fight phase or something, let's say it charges in you. Oh no, the knight's charging me help! And then you forbid and gem it, and you're able to kill it in your fight in that in your opponent's fight phase while it's under the effects of the forbidden gem. It actually can't explode, which is actually really big because half the damage knights do typically is when they explode and. You know, kill you know two thirds of your characters that they're you know standing around them uh, when they died. So that being able to shut that off is super important. Yeah, and it also says it cannot use any abilities on its data sheet that affect other units either. So it shuts down all or abilities and abilities that heal other models. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's it pretty much makes the character useless. You can't even do like a fight against strat because that, for that whole phase you cannot activate and can't do anything. So. It's uh, it's a really good uh, relic that you can expect to be on the contoured epitome almost in every game that it's uh, played with. It can also be a, a warlord, and you know I don't. I've seen some people run as the warlord. Most people don't. But if it does get the warlord, it could take a plus three movement. So now it's movement fifteen, which is insane because it, it's so fast already. And when we'll get to its last ability, it's kind of its uh, and capstone slanesh, ability. It gets to uh, does it get to an advance and charge and do? <clears throat> yeah, if he's in a pure slaneshi demon detachment, he can advance and charge, which isn't always the case. Like sometimes you'll see him running in just a mixed, undivided chaos detachment. But if he's in a um, a pure slaneshi demon detachment, then he can. Uh, he can really move. Yeah. So his capstone ability is why everyone takes him. That's why they pay 200 points. I mean, he's he's decent in combat. He's got a bunch of attacks, and, like, you know, he might kill some things. But it, you don't take him because he's a good psyker. You don't take him because he can take the Forbidden Gem. You don't take him because he's decent in melee. You, there's Slaneshi demon characters for, like, 100 points that can do all those things. The reason you take the Contorted Epitome is because he has a, a 6-inch aura where enemy units within 6 inches can't fall back unless they roll under their leadership on 3d6. Now, the average roll on 3d6 is, I think, 10. So unless you're leadership 11, on average, you can't fall back from these guys. Uh, and it's it doesn't matter if you have the fly keyword. It doesn't matter about anything. If you are locked in combat 
and you're within six inches, or your unit is within, within six inches of the contorted pinion, you ain't going nowhere. Yeah, most units are really, realistically, uh, leadership seven or eight. Yeah, and so, I mean, you need to roll, if you're leadership eight, you need to roll a seven, which is doable on two dice when you start rolling three <laughs> dice. I mean, maybe if you're like me sometimes, you can get, <laughs> it might not be a problem. But the real, this is the, the magic behind the contorted epitome, is the ability to prevent people from falling back. So, I mean, I, I can't overstate how good that is. Being able to, you don't have to try point things. You can trap a riptide in close combat by piling into it. And then it can't go anywhere, and it's going to fight you back and not do anything, and then you're going to kill it on your opponent's turn, and then you're going to pile into something else to avoid more overwatch. So once the contorted epitome gets into your army, it's going to start a cascading effect because you're going to have to, uh, whatever it's locked in, whatever's locked in combat around it isn't going anywhere. And so one of the strategies that you're going to have to figure out is, okay, f you want to obviously, if you can kill the contorted epitome before it gets to your lines, great. But <clears throat> as we were saying earlier, snipers are not as effective against it as other um, uh, other characters because of the, the fact that it pretty much ignores all mortal wounds on a two up. It's also a toughness five and is a cavalry unit. So like even things like a Vindicar, Vindicar assassin is only going to wound it on a four up, and you know, going to do D three maybe D six damage. It has a five up and vulnerable save. I mean. It's not the toughest thing to kill in the world, but it has eight wounds, T5, so it's it's going to take a long time for your snipers to get through it. And if you have targeted mortal wound spells, if you're playing Chaos, or if you're you know doing some Eldar jank and you have some targeted mortal wounds, you can you can potentially do mortal wounds to characters, but this guy is going to say, I don't give a shit. I got two up and feel no pain against that. So um, it's a really tough piece to kill unless you can charge it and kill it in, uh, or you know shoot it with... Uh, some sniper that doesn't rely on mortal wounds to do his uh, his thing. So it's kind of a. It, it, I've noticed when I, I've seen it in play is that it, it kind of cascades into people. Like when the contorted epitome hits a tau line, it's going to be on the tau player's doorstep with you know lore discordant maybe two if it's if you still have any left, and then like thirty demonettes and thirty zangors. Or it's going to have you know thirty to sixty infantry models around it. That are going to do the rap, the, the touching, and making you not fall back. So then, what happens is is the Tau player gets a few units locked in combat, and then it, the Tau player, doesn't fall back far enough from the models that are touching in in combat with uh, the ones who can't fall back, like the enemy models. And what happens is on the Tau player's combat phase, all the models that were in close combat die, and then suddenly you're the Zangors or the Demonettes are moving three inches more and then another three inches more and are engaging the Tau player at the end of the combat phase so that they don't have to take Overwatch next turn. So one of the tactics against fighting the, the Contorted Epitome is if you're going to screen or, you know, um, if, he, if he actually gets into your lines and he starts touching things and they can't fall back, the rest of your army has to get the hell out of dodge if possible. <laughs> and you have to move at least 10 inches away from the models that are engaged in close combat because what's going to happen is they're going to move three inches toward you and then they're going to move another three inches toward you. And if they do that and they cut off your, your overwatch, especially if you're Tau, you're going to be in a world of hurt because, you know, that's all the defense Tau has. Um, and even, you know, armies that are good in melee, it's not always, you don't always want to be stuck in combat. You Sometimes you need to get away so that you can shoot something. Like when I was playing my orcs, I played against the Contorted Epitome a few times and luckily he didn't make its charge. But if he had, I didn't realize 
oh, he can just pile into my Gretchen, uh, and then I can't shoot him with my Tank Buster Boys or my Shock Attack Guns, all his Lord, because he had Lord Discord, and so he was going to kind of hide his Lord Discordance right in front of my army <laughs> uh, by just kind of piling him into, into a third Gretchen squad that I had carelessly left uh, uh, screening my army. Um, which I didn't need to do, so it was kind of um, I got lucky because my opponent didn't actually make the charge with his uh, Katorid Epitome. But even if you know, in my case of my Orc Army, I love being in combat. I don't. I want those Disco Lords not in combat. I need to shoot them to death because my Warp Boys don't like two up armor saves. So. so, so what you're saying is that like a unit of like Zangors or Horrors or like Plague Bearers or whatever will come in and touch your army. And then they'll get like a three-inch uh, pile-in move and a three-inch consolidation move to touch a bunch of uh, yeah, other Yeah, so units. that in their turn, the, the Contort Epitome player's turn, they don't actually have to declare a charge because they're already within one inch of your models. Mm -hmm. Or they'll just, you know, yeah, so they're essentially going to be using your fight phase to move closer to your army. So you have to move back you have to back away from the stuff that's trapped and you have to say look it's dead <laughs> uh, maybe you get lucky and you can fall back with it but you want to give enough space so that when the contorted epitome player finally kills your stuff in you in your turn that on the contorted epitome player's turn he has to actually make charges to to get in uh, engage you you don't want to give him that free uh, engagement without the overwatch not that if you're not playing Tau, your Overwatch probably isn't going to do too much, but it's still important to to know that. And, you know, one of the other things you can do if you're playing against a Contorted Epitome, and this is kind of true in, in a lot of uh, cases for your arm, for most armies, if you can, you want to bring some sort of counter-charge threat. So in, in the Contorted epitome, epitome match, you're going to want to make sure you preserve that counter-charging unit to get you out of that sticky situation when the Contorted Epitome starts locking your whole army in combat. Um, so, you know, that's a couple of things that you just need to consider with the Contorted Epitome. It's really just all about board positioning and knowing what it can do and trying to prevent that from happening. So, I mean, once, because once he starts getting you stuck in combat, it's a, it can cascade down really badly. And just, you know, some other tricks that you should be watching out for if you're playing Eldar Flyers or any sort of flyer with a minimum movement, what can happen is the Contorted Epitome can be within six inches of Eldar Flyers, right? So those flyers normally can't be engaged in close combat, but if the demonettes or the zangors that are coming, or the plague bears even that are coming from the uh, that are you know they're charging something on the ground, like say a wave serpent or some other something they can declare a charge on, they can move and string out in such a way that with their they can't end within one inch of the planes, but when they pile in, they can pile into the plane and base the plane. So the plane is technically engaged in combat. Normally. Really? Normally the plane just flies off because it doesn't care. I have fly. I thought you but needed to have fly to engage a plane. You you have you need to have fly to attack a plane, to make melee attacks in it. You don't need to have fly to be within one inch of a plane. So the contort epitome player can heroically intervene something into the plane, even if it doesn't have fly. He could you know he could uh, Aramon on foot could heroically intervene next to a plane touch the plane and then on the plane player's next turn that plane is stuck in combat and if it doesn't roll under its leadership on 3d6 it blows up because it can't move and if you don't make your minimum movement you explode pursuant to the rules so um, a lot of times eldar flyer players will be really careless you know what they're moving they don't really care like, oh, i'm just gonna kind of move around but if you're playing flyers especially eldar flyers you need to make sure that the the big blobs of infantry don't get any charges on any of the things that are on the ground, like your wave serpents or your night spinners or your troops, because what can happen is if that 
if that charge gets off, you're going to see those Zangor blobs stringing back 15, 20 inches across the board to pile into the flyers, and then the contorted epitome is just standing there um, and preventing those flyers from falling back, and suddenly they're blowing up on the start of your turn. So it is a really powerful tactic against Eldar flyers that you need to be aware of if you're playing. You need to be very um, tight with your movement, and you need to make sure you're screening out with your flyers so that the uh, contorted epitome's infantry units can't actually like declare charge on anything, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty powerful unit, the contorted epitome, as Richard would say. But uh, And that is what he would say. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very unique looking model, so you can't really... It's very distinctive on the tabletop, which is one thing it has going against it. But just need to be aware of it. Keep a, Depending on your army, you might want to keep a respectful distance from it, but... I've only really encountered it twice, once, you know. He froze Magnus for one turn, and then the next turn Magnus just hacked it down. Another time, I took control of it with Treason of Zinch, and I charged Aramin with it. And I thought, okay, cool, this thing's going to kill Aramin. And this thing totally whiffed, but Aramin killed it. So I was like, okay, that's it. That worked out. <laughs> Win-win okay. situation. <laughs> yeah, that's like, oh, it's one of them. That's funny. I don't care, so. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of our unit focus. It's kind of quick and dirty on the contorted epitome. Just it, The main thing you, everyone needs to be aware of is it can prevent you from falling back. So you, you need to make sure that your game plan is adapted to... Um, making sure that the contorted epitome doesn't lock you in combat, or if it does lock you in combat, you have sufficient room to back up and um, not let those those units that are fighting or locked in combat uh, pile into you during your own turn uh, to prevent the Overwatch, to, you know, so they don't get overwatched. So that's it. So what's our next topic, Alan? Our next topic, we're going to take a break for a few minutes, and we'll be right back with... How to start and pick a winning tournament army. <clears throat> and we're back! Alright everybody, we're going to talk now a little bit on building a winning force. Now basically we're going to talk about how selecting a winning tournament force and how you basically go about winning it. Now this is something I've been thinking about because... He has a 100% money back guarantee. 100% money back guarantee. Yeah, if you don't win, uh, you'll get all the money that you paid into this advice. So back. Um, we have a SoCal Open in two months, so I kind of want to prepare for it. And I think a lot of other people are preparing for it and getting their armies ready. And we're going to try to talk about uh, what you kind of need to... To get ready because I kind of want to do well. Usually I'm a slacker and I just go through the motions at a tournament and uh, I think at SoCal Open I think I really want to do well. Now last year I went 5-0 and and I ended up losing the sixth game, the very last game, which was kind of, which is, you know, happens a lot because at Slaughterfest I did the same thing and at LVO I did the same thing. But that's besides the point. But, <laughs> but this time I'm going to try now. I thought about playing the Harlequins, but Harlequins, especially with the new Marines, they haven't been updated since their codex came out a year and a half ago, and so they've just they've been they were weak to begin with, and just been falling behind the curve. And I played against um, Danny Ruiz, LVO, uh, third most famous judge, and uh, he uh, he played the Bash Brothers against my Harlequin army, and I just had no answers for it. He just he just came onto my objective, stomped everybody around, killed everything around, shot everything. He just like he's just like a uh, weapon of mass destruction. Just well, little clowns running in fear from him, like he's Godzilla. <laughs> 
So one of the things you have to look at is faction choice. Now, there's a few few uh, few things that go into it. Now, I I kind of always want goofy factions. I <laughs> you want to be the hipster? Yeah, the hipster. Like <clears throat> that's why I want to do the Harlequins. But like, I want to get. I, I sit there and think, can I make Grey Knights happen? Can Grey Knights win? <laughs> can I do well with Grey Knights? But you have to be realistic that. Some armies just do not have the tools to win. Now, a lot of times you think that some factions might be okay. And yeah, I know, like Green Knights won a tournament in Australia. Okay, maybe. <laughs> but there's always that white whale of perfect matchups and bad players. But you need, you need to, to measure an army's success based on playing good players. Because a lot of times, a very good player will take a bad army, and you could ruffle stomp, you know, good armies. But when, you, when you're apples to apples, when there's two good players going against each other, the army, the superior army, will be head and shoulders above the crummy army. The crummy army will just not have the tools that it needs in its toolbox to deal with it. So, Yeah, and one, one thing when you're making this assessment is you need to be brutally honest with yourself and rank your the faction you want to bring in. If your goal... It's to go and win best in faction for a faction. For a faction, that's easy because you know already what your goal is. But right. if your goal is to try and go five and zero or five and one or six and zero or you know something like that, you need to say, you know what, I'm not. I'm not going to play fucking Harlequins because <laughs> I, I, I want to win, you know, or or whatever. And so you have to make the goal. You have to put that into your mind from day one and just go like, I'm going to bring Imperial soup. I'm going to bring the best of the soup, and I'm going to have a delicious, you know. You <laughs> You're know. going to cherry-pick the best units possible. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people do. But well, 40K Stat Center is a good good resource for telling and uh, seeing what armies are, are, are basically the factions are the best. And you kind of want to, because basically you have a lot of games, a lot of different players, and especially since the best players tend to gravitate towards the best armies, the... Uh, the top, the top armies that are doing the best, those are the ones you kind of want to be have an eye for. And then, so once you kind of isolate it, and then also there's there's some there's some marginal armies too, like Necrons are a are like a good army. They're like a mid tier army, but they're not really gonna they're not gonna be able to win a real tournament. There's 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 some people have been close, and there's some people who do well, but at a giant tournament with like a million players and a lot of good players. They're not gonna. They're not gonna be able to uh, to really compete at the at the very top tables. Sorry about that, all you Necron players. But if you have a problem, talk to Ray Almuda from the Veteran Gamers podcast. He'll tell, he'll set you straight. So so then so now once you've narrowed it down to what what armies you want to bring or the, the competitive armies, you kind of want to choose the army that you kind of like and that kind of fits your play style. And a lot of that goes into like aesthetics. You want an army that you're happy playing and you want to play. There's no point if, especially since this is a game and yeah, you might be trying to win, but you don't want to sit around playing game after game because that's what's going to take to do well with an army that you hate, you despise, you don't like its play style. You do well with the army that you like to play. Other factors go into it. You kind of want an army that's also relatively easy to use. There's there's a certain skill level with certain all armies. There's some that are easier than others. Some of them have a lot of intricate 
uh, nuanced combinations and things that just have to dominate. The dominoes have to fall just right, and the good players can really do them. But you know, you have to kind of assess your assess your skill level and see how good you are and how well you can uh, make these combos go to really. Uh, is one of those armies you would think would be like something like Gene Sealer Cult as opposed to what? Uh, just like, <clears throat> well, Space Marines are getting a little, little bit tougher, but some some armies are just pretty straightforward. I think Tau are relatively straightforward. You know, you just have to have a solid movement phase, and if you do that and you have decent target priority with Tau, you can probably take most games. But it's all the movement phase because that's the only phase they really have. That, <laughs> and then it's the that's dice rolling phase. And you know, if you if you're good at shooting the right things and rolling dice, then you're okay. Uh, but certain armies also are a lot more forgiving than others too. Like uh, let's say like the Jim Vessel list. You know, you just stand behind a bunch of plague bears and just you know, th there's some nuances to move in the maneuver phase and the movement phase because you need to move your your psychers usually and then your your assault elements around but but relatively you know almost all armies i guess are pretty complicated but just some are more or have a lot of nuanced detail to yeah it. but you just want to make what you're i think the point you're trying to make is you want to make sure that the nuances are either forgiving or unforgiving so like a gene Sealer cult army if you fuck up your army <laughs> gets killed before it does anything with Elder With, elder flyers are pretty forgiving last. Yeah, exactly. If you move them, you know, uh, if you, you can move them over there or you can move them 10 inches to the side. It doesn't really matter as long as your opponent's not within 12 inches of you. Right. It's probably fine. You know, you can t turn when you before you move and after you move, so you're not likely to fly off the table. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, as long as you're getting your recon points and you're not within 12 inches of your opponent so that they can ignore your late talk bonus, you're probably okay. And uh, you want a, a faction that has tools in its toolbox. You want it to have a certain amount of killiness because when the rubber hits the road, you need to kill things. You only fall back to objectives and usually other things if you can't have the trouble killing them, especially with using ITC where you need to kill one unit and you get a bonus if you kill more units. You need a lot of mobility. That's a dis that's a, oftentimes the difference between a very good list and a very bad list is the mobility. You need to maneuver. You need to get places and you need to hit units and kill units. You need to get to objectives. You need to get behind cover. You need you need a lot of mobility. I think it's one of the often underrated uh, abilities. Yeah, I think that's, for instance, that's one thing that's good with, with Eldar, right? Is Eldar are really fast because they have fucking jet bikes and venoms and planes and they're all 16, 15 inch movement. And even you look at something like my orcs, <clears throat> they're all foot slogging around the battlefield, but at least I have to jump. I can <laughs> teleport across the battlefield. You know, you can have all kinds of like outflanking death coptas and stuff like that. And a lot of armies have those things, but some don't. And that's, that can be a big issue. Yeah, you need, you need a few things. At least like if you have like a gate spell, you're okay. And like even the, uh, even Necrons have a veil, but they're, they're kind of, they're kind of, that's a one-shot thing. So, But Necrons are pretty fast, so most of their vehicles yeah, fly. Yeah, because you have a lot of vehicles, especially if you have the croissants. Yeah. And you need a certain <clears throat> amount of durability in your army. You need to, it's a huge advantage to be able to go second in the ITC. And if you have durability to take, to take fire or hide or if you have protection, that is a... That is very good because you're going to, uh, to uh, be able to take second turn and you're not going to get blown off the table and it's going to be a huge advantage. 
And a few other things you have to look for too is can, two things in the ITC. Can you get secondaries? Do you deny secondaries? When I played like when I played my Zine Charmy, I've talked about this a couple times. I've struggled with secondaries. With getting secondaries yourself, you mean? Well, yes, I, I have trouble getting secondaries because I'm not really fast to really take all the low hanging fruit, and I'm not. I don't have like spare units to take engineers and things like that, so I, I have to depend on like the killy ones, like you know Headhunter and Kingslayer and stuff like that. And those are always going to be dicey propositions that if things are going bad, you're not going to be able to get them, or your opponent can just can you know hide them or keep them away from me and things like that. But like with Eldar, Eldar, you know, I get these rangers that can be engineers, sit on the objectives, and I got planes, I can get recon really easy. And so the, when you, secondaries are huge, because, you know, every army is going to hold one, generally kill one, and then, you know, you might hold more, you might kill more, but the secondaries are going to be a huge determining factor on whether or not you're going to win or lose a game, because... You know, those those are sixty uh, possible at twelve points, and that's going to be a huge swing one way or the other. Yeah, and that's like one of the big reasons. I mean, if you look at the past, you know, before the current ITC missions, Eldar was a really hard army t to pick seconders against, specifically Inari. And before, because they didn't bring the, they weren't whirling an Eldar flyerless where they had seven vehicles. They were they had like shining spears, dark reapers, maybe two wave servers, maybe three or four characters. So you were like, kind of hosed. Like that's what that was one of the really big. I mean, other than the fucking broken soul burst <laughs> rules, the other thing that Inari players had going for them was like, you can't get secondaries off me. Yeah. I give up maybe four headhunter points, maybe you know, and usually three. Yeah, usually three, and then they you can't even mark for deaths most of the things. And if you, I mean, maybe you can mark for death. You know, the farce here. The farce. <laughs> well, you can mark for death the shining spears and the the dark reapers, but they're probably killing you, and you know. Moving twenty inches out, killing you, and then jumping behind cover, and yeah, they'll have like three wave serpents for so no big game hunter, and so it's yeah, like it's, it was just a struggle just getting killed. Everybody just sits there, just like tries to figure out secondaries, and there's no good answer for them. Yeah, exactly. So uh, being able to deny secondaries with your list, or I mean, like when I typically look at a list, I mean, not now I'm playing orcs. I have a bajillion dudes. I have two hundred models in my army. I have. Fucking ten characters or some shit. So I'm like, yeah, people take Reaper and Headhunter, and that's just it is what it is. <laughs> but when I'm looking at an Eldar army where I have the option to deny secondary points, I look at something like I've been recently just kind of mulling over the Dark Eldar Codex and looking at uh, Hemaculus Covens. But the problem is, is the uh, uh, grotesques give up Gangbusters like no one's business, and the Talos have seven wounds, so they're giving up. Each one of them gives up hunter. a big game hunter point. Mm -hmm. So. You know, if you take Talos and and or Grotesque, you're giving up, you know, two secondaries there. And, and if your army gives up two secondaries, if your opponent looks at your army and goes, oh, I'm going to take two secondaries against you, easy, and maybe even a third one easy, all based on killing your models, it can be a problem. Like, you know, uh, before they implemented the change where Reaper and Mark for Death uh, don't stack anymore... Orcs were horrible because you take Reaper and you Mark for Death all the boys units, so you get two points. You know, essentially you get eight secondary points just by killing all the boys. Thankfully, they changed that. But um, being able to deny secondary points, or or at least make give your opponent a tough choice, where like, look, yeah, I can I can easily get Gangbusters on all the grotesque, but maybe I can't get Headhunter. Yeah, you have six characters, but they're all 
tough homunculus characters who are going to be hiding in the back or behind all those grotesques. So I have to chew through all those grotesques first to get your characters. Um, so, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, being able to deny your opponent um, kill points and things like that. And if you can still do that, it's good. It's always a good list design thing to do. If you're basically a good player, you know what a list needs. You know what units are generally good and you want. But you, what you're going to need to do is a little bit of refine, refinement in your army list. And how do you get refinement? Well, you generally, you can, a lot of people net list. And that, I'm not saying any pros or cons about net listing, but it gives you a blueprint and it gives you an idea of, of what some good lists are, what elements they have. And if you have the same faction, you know, some ideas. It might not be perfect for what you want in your style of play, but at least you'll get some ideas of interesting combinations. Like, for the longest time, I saw I saw Sean Naden. He took like he took a that's um, a vanguard with a, the elite uh, detachment, and he took like a, a shadow seer, and he took like a troop master and a solid. I mean, he took a a shadow seer, two death jesters, and a solitaire, and that allows him to use hero's path, which allows them to like basically pick up three units and move them across the board, and also gives him allows him to take uh, a different a mask for each one of the units like he gave the solitaire a midnight star mask which means he gets to fight again and he gave a death jester you know the uh the mask where he gets the curtain fall relic a really good uh gun that basically turns him into a like a vindicare assassin so it's good to look at other people's lists for for ideas and maybe a little bit of inspiration and some elements you can add to your army yeah on, on that topic uh i think for me, at least, I think netlisting is great. Just for everything that you just said, I mean, like, it's always a good, in my opinion, to see what's working. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. If you're going to a tournament and you want to do well, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just look at what other people are taking and what's doing well and and bring that to your army list. And maybe, yeah, like Alan was saying, make it your own. Maybe you don't have a lot of models or you don't like the certain unit, how it plays. But you can take that as a good building block and refine that and add to it or subtract from it and uh, make something that's truly yours and that you think can win. Yes, because we've kind of seen Jim Vessel at the beginning of the year just do really well, just rack up all these, all these wins. And then you see TJ. TJ had a very similar list that, that Jim had, but with some slight uh, tweaks and changes. So TJ kind of made it his own. I don't know who, if they both came up with the same idea or the chicken and egg or if one started at first, but they they basically had a, a lateral thinking as far as their list goes, and you know that's kind of a good good way to see you know what's working. Another thing is also to refine your list. If you try to join, either have a, like a uh, usually a play group or a group you can bounce ideas off of. Generally, a lot of people, you know, if you look at the top top uh, all the top players, you know, you look at all these. All these teams that each one of these uh, these players are in, and you know they're able to bounce ideas off these teams. And if you don't have a team, if you're like in an area that you're not a joiner or whatever, each faction you can go on Facebook. Each faction has its uh, own basically a Facebook page where you can go for ideas and inspiration. 
Now, the problem with that is you, you're getting sometimes quite very questionable advice because you don't know the, you know, the, the bona fides of the people who's giving advice. You don't know if they're really bad or really good. So you have to be a little bit, uh, a little bit wary, but you can get uh, advice online if you need to in certain places, especially if it's a good player and somebody you, you respect. They'll generally give you good advice, whereas, you know, you don't want to listen too much to the, uh, to the masses out there. And, uh, and that's basically how you refine a list. And then, after you get to, basically you uh, know the list that you want, you're going to need to play test it. And play test it a lot. <laughs> because you need to play test it against a lot of different armies, especially top armies, especially since now that the uh, Marine Codex is so new and out. I need to play, before uh, next month, I need to play a lot against Marines because I have no idea what what all this shooting is going to do and how they're going to impact and all the special tricks and tactics and combinations and strats are going to going to work out. And you want to play top army top players playing top armies because that's how you you also get really good because you need to know what they're going to do, you know their strategy, you need to have counters for them. And if you play you know, like I said if you just beat a bunch of bad players, you're not going to learn anything. You're just going to just like, you know, you're just going to go through the motions and it's going to be a boring exercise for you. But if you play against, if you challenge yourself against top players, you're going to get much better. And just get the reps in, especially since everything's on a time clock nowadays. You need to get that army down so you're a well-oiled playing machine because you need to you need to get those turns in and turn them fast. And you need to remember all your stratagems. You need to remember all your abilities. And you need to need to do uh, where your movement is, where your opponents, your 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 uh, models need to be, and so that's about it for uh, for uh, getting a, at least a list, getting up to like a GT level. Oh, and just a comment on the the practice makes perfect uh, element of that. I think one of the things that I think a lot of players will have problems with is finding quote-unquote good players to practice against so you know this is something that is it's real i mean like if you live a hundred miles away from a major metropolitan area you you know you're on the boonies you may not have top players but what you do have is you have the top players in your area mm -hmm. and you need to pair up with those people and figure out how to become better and that how you do that is you play and you build a group and you get more people to play and you have more people want to play competitive lists and what you do is you take turns playing net lists against each other. So, all right, today you play Nick Nanavati's uh, Genius of Cult list against my list, and we'll talk it through. We'll play, we'll re-rack the game three or four times and just play it out in our head and try and think about how this list should be played. You can watch streams is one thing you can do. So if you don't, if you don't have access to top-level players, there's a lot of streams out there on Twitch of past events that you can watch. Yeah, so you have to be very careful about what you watch on YouTube because a lot of times you see these battle reports made by all these famous companies and people who put out battle reports. They're usually looking for people who just want to see friendly games going against each other. These are not tournament armies. They're not tournament worthy. And I don't know if they're tournament quality play. They don't really whip out the hardcore tournament list they play usually this fluffy fun list and just for uh, entertainment and eyeballs and views so stream streaming of tournaments, tournaments yeah. is a great way to see top level play 
and top armies being played by top-level opponents. Yeah, you can always try and find the round five and six games from big tournaments like Iron Halo, Flying Monkey, you know, uh, BAO, um, LVO, all, all like Slaughterfest, those, all those games. You know, the first couple rounds, they may have Joe Schmo versus famous Joe Schmo or something like that. But on round five, they're going to have the top tables. You're going to have players who have gone 5-0 and oh, and they're kicking ass. And those are the players you want to watch because especially if they're mic'd up and especially if there's commentary, you'll get a lot of really good advice. So some of these streams like Capital City Bloodbath uh, two weeks ago or something like that had uh, Rob the Honest Wargamer and I think Peter the Falcon uh, doing shoutcasting with Val Heffelfinger too. So these guys know the game. They're they're commenting on what's happening in the game turn by turn so that you can kind of see, oh, this guy, they're going to say, oh, this guy made a mistake. And if you don't understand why the mistake was made, those shoutcasters will help you kind of identify the mistake because usually they'll talk it out and, and say, you know, what's happening in the game. So those are really good ways to get insight into how to play an army. And you can use those to, net, you know, take that, that army, that one, and just play it against your army and have your friend play against it. Uh, you know, run it or pilot it, and then you figure out how to play it, and then you, you get better like that. You know, so you're. It's something that if you don't have a, a solid group of players, you just need to build one, and it, it's it's not easy. Uh, and it may not you may not become the best players in the world by doing it, but it's the best chance you have outside of you know traveling and, and, and yeah. And you more. also might just have to travel a little while because sometimes you know during the dark days of seventh edition and other places I've lived. You know, when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, the Jacksonville scene wasn't that great, and I often had to drive down to Orlando to play, you know, an RTTs and get some quality opponents and quality games. And sometimes, you know, that might be a position where you might need to travel a little bit more to get some, uh, get your games in against yeah. decent players. So, you know, travel to an RTT that's, you know, an hour away might be a thing that you just need to do if you want to do well at a larger event that you have coming up yeah, and even even we're in los angeles and i've i've never played a, i've played one gene stealer cult army and that was in las vegas and i've never seen one here and i've never, never played one here so i kind of really need to get some reps in against gene stealer cult you, you know, know we don't have the local metaphor you know so it's like yeah if you is. want if you want chaos or nights you're in the right place but <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> About it. But yeah, so that's a problem getting in getting in those uh, those top games against top players, you know. So, but we're gonna so we're gonna chart our progress hopefully and see where we're at and what we're doing and uh, we'll see what we do at the uh, SoCal. You know, you're not going to SoCal. This no, year, I can't make it. Now. I have a work conference uh, that weekend. Yeah, so, so I'm on my own. Yeah, right. that means someone can't beat both of us. <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. And if you have any questions, just shoot us an email at focused thought with a D, focused fire podcast at gmail.com. And if you guys have any questions on your own list or uh, on any uh, topics you'd like us to uh, go into or any units you'd like us to focus on, just let us know. Shoot us an email. We're happy to hear. All right. Let's blow this popsicle stand. Take us out, Jeff. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. Good night.